So, in 1948, a brand new word was created. Now, it's a compound word, so the other words, the two words that they were very common. But these, this is the first time these two words, in 1948, was the first time these two words were put together. And the word that was brand new, that was created for the very first time and used for the first time is supermodel in 1948. It's hard to imagine that it goes back that far. A, a designer, a very famous designer at the time, uh, wanted to display the clothes that he was designing. And uh, at that point, up to, up to that moment, clothes were only displayed on mannequins, you know, like that. Uh, and so that's, that's the way they displayed it. So he had this idea, hey, let's make it alive. Let's, let's do it. So he convinced his wife, a very reluctant wife, by the way, to, to display the clothes. Now, it wasn't anything like you could imagine our supermodels today do. She just simply went out there and stand. She had the clothes because the focus was always on the clothes. How many know it's very different nowadays? The focus isn't about uh, what the model, supermodel wears. A lot of times it's what she doesn't wear. But the focus is, is on her. And there's very, in fact, I looked it up and I did a little study. I was studying, that's right, studying supermodels this week. You know, it's the price I have to pay for preaching. But there's, there's really no guys that, that, do, that are supermodels. That, but what has happened is something that has turned away from featuring the clothes, saying, hey, these are nice clothes, to that you don't know it's a clothes. It's only about the model. And she makes millions and millions and millions of dollars. And you say, well, Greg, what is that all about? Because I want us to understand something as we're going into this series on steel and stone. And what, is it, what does it really mean? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul is writing to the church. Remember, this is the church that he only spent about a month with. And he's so proud of them because they have become such a model. They are, they are changing the world around them. And he writes to them and said, you became a model to all the believers. Not just the, the people in Thessalonica, not just the people in the surrounding uh, communities, but in all of Asia Minor, you, this church, you, what you're doing has become, uh, you, you have become, in other words, God's supermodel for all the believers. You have become this, this, this example to other people. Now, if you look at model, what does it mean? It means like you would expect it to mean. It means example, this, this Greek word. But it's much deeper than that. It actually means to strike, to have a, a mark, literally to make an imprint, to strike so hard that there's an imprint in, in whatever it is. And, and that's what Paul was saying, this church... They, they were being God's supermodel. They were making an imprint in other people around them. But the question is, what are you imprinting? <laughs> because it's, it's easy sometimes to, to fall into the, as Christians, is fall into the very same trap as we see maybe the supermodels would have said, well, it's about me. It's not necessarily about what I'm showing off. And you see, we have to show off Christ. We have to be examples so that God can be seen in us, that Christ can be seen in us. But when we become so consumed about our life and what we're doing and how we're living, trying to, trying to get it all right or do it all right or whatever, then we miss the very idea of what does it mean to be a model that changes the world. 
to be to make that imprint. And before we go any further, I, I just wanted us to pause and think, what, what kind of imprint am I living, leaving? If, if that, my imprint was put on someone I meet or an area that I touch and I back away, do they see my imprint or do they see Christ? They see his love. They see his hope. They see his salvation. What are, do they see? So this morning, in the second message of steel and stone, remember, steel and stone is, is a metaphor of the courage that it takes to live for God, the strength that it takes to live for God. That's the steel and the stone of the precious stones. That Remember, the, the Corinthians talks about how you build. What's going to be left? Are you building with wood, hay, and stubble that's going to just get burned away? Or are you building with precious stones that's going to make a difference? Do you want to leave uh, um, a legacy? I've been really thinking about this, and maybe I'll do a, a message on it sometime in the future, because God's really moving on my heart. I don't want to live, leave a legacy. I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't want my legacy to say, oh, Greg did this, Greg did that. I want to leave a language. I want to leave where people are saying, this is what God has done in my life. This is... It, it, to change the way they actually think and they actually talk. So this morning, we're going to start on steel and stone, God's supermodel, being God's supermodel. Okay, bet you never thought God would ask you to be his supermodel. I'm, oh, okay, maybe some of you are. I don't know. That's another whole sermon we've got to deal with, but that's not the point. So you're thinking, well, great, and, and that's just to shake you up a little bit and get you thinking, wait a minute, what does it mean? To really be a model for God, to really make a difference to my family. When I found it's hardest to make a difference with those that are closest because they know us so well. And they, sometimes they, they know the buttons to push in our life. And sometimes it's easier to be kind to a stranger than it is to your own spouse or your own family or your own people in your fellowship in your church. You know, Jesus taught and said something really profound. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, let's think about that for a minute. I'm the salt of the earth. You are, as believers, the salt of the earth. We are salt of the earth. What does that mean? Now, the first thing you have to understand about salt it is it is not a spice. Salt is not a spice. Spice adds flavor. Salt doesn't do that. Salt enhances the flavor that's already there. Salt is a rock. <laughs> it's a mineral. Salt is seen as a mineral. And so there's, this mineral, mineral has these, this strange quality, this strange property that if you add it, the flavor that's there comes out. And that's what Jesus was saying. It's not about you. You're just salt. <laughs> Come on, listen to me. It's about what we bring out. It's about are, we, are you bringing out Christ? Are you bringing out his love, his his salvation, his compassion, his, his character, or are you doing something else? Now, salt can go wrong in a couple of ways. Jesus actually mentions one of the ways. If salt loses its saltiness, then it gets thrown out. Why? Because it does nothing. Why? It's just a rock. <laughs> You're adding rock to a situation, and people are, are not impressed. <laughs> if, if you lose your saltiness, you don't do anything. And I think there are sometimes believers that get to the point of serving God, loving God, God, you know, be in my life. And you do nothing. We do nothing because you've lost the saltiness. You're not bringing out Christ in others. 
That's what a supermodel, God's supermodel does, is brings out the character and the, the love of Christ in other people, in prints in other people. But the second thing salt does, another way that salt can go wrong, is that if you put, come on, how many of you have ever done this? Be honest, too much. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever uh, you're adding the salt and you missed it and it spilled? You know, they always say, never measure salt over the dish that you're doing it. Do it to the side, you know, a little cook, cooking trip tip, just in case you need to you can write that down. No one's writing it down. Okay, so salt, if it's too much, is worthless. It actually makes the food unedible. And when we're too much, when then there's too much of us, when it's just about us, God, I love you, but I'm going to do this, and I'm going to live there, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to act like this, and I'm going to do it this way, and we say, oh, it's... <laughs> And God just saying, wow, that's a lot of salt. <laughs> it doesn't change anybody. It doesn't help anybody. Jesus also taught, because he loved metaphors, okay? So he talked in metaphors all the time. He also said, you're the salt of the earth. So I'm going, okay, what does that mean? And then he says, you're the light of the world. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I thought God was the light. He is. I thought Christ was the light. He is. But he said that we were. You are the light of the world. Now, here's the thing about light. Light shines on what needs to be seen. And as a light, is it on what I'm doing and who I am and how great I am and all the wonderful things? Is it on me? Or do we turn the light on what needs to be shined on? Where Jesus described it like a city set on a hill. You're going to see it. It's going to be bright. It's going to light all up so everyone can see it. Can everyone see Christ in you? Can everyone see Christ in us? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 teaches us something real important about all of this, about being a, a God's supermodel. Paul's teaching the church at Ephesus, and he says, you were taught. This is what he taught them. I taught you this. <laughs> so if he taught them this uh, in Ephesus, he, he most certainly taught in Thessalonica which is what we're dealing with this whole month, going all the way through the, the, uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And he, and he says, you were taught regarding the former way of life. How, you were taught how you used to live. <laughs> to put off your old self. To don't live that way anymore. So the first thing that Paul would do, and again, remember Paul's only at the church of Thessalonica for uh, formed it, made it, established it, put people in in leadership, and in four weeks, and left. <laughs> and here they are changing the world. <laughs> wow. That's why I want to focus on First Thessalonians. That's why I want to focus on what did they do? How did they live? What is going on? And the first thing that Paul would have taught them is, okay, you need to put on the right clothes, but I, I, before that, I need to teach you how to take off the wrong ones. Don't live that way anymore. Now, for this message, for today, for everything we're doing, this don't even have time to go into that. But it's really basic. You say, oh, what is the old clause? Oh, okay, let's take it out of the metaphors. Repentance, confession, humility. Take, those are the things that we need to put in our life and take off the old way, the old attitude, the old selfishness, the old things that so easily we, we do. Take that off. Jesus said it another way. He said, um, okay, new wine. If you pour it into an old wine skin, what happens? It breaks. I'm going to go deep here, so you stay with me. It breaks. 
the wine representing the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into an old lifestyle that won't change, that won't bend, it breaks. And I've seen that very often. Now, the, the Holy Spirit is not meant to break you, but he will bring you to the point to show you, you cannot live this way. And I've seen more than one person make wrong decisions to the point where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's coming and just keeps dealing with them, keeps dealing with them, and brings them to the point they understand, this is old wineskin. You cannot live this way. You cannot be this way. And I'm not yelling at you. I'm talking to me. I'm talking about, because we all have these areas that think, I like this. This is okay. God, you have all of that. But this little area... This will be my little old wineskin, okay? God, just, just why, 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 come on, come on, just a little bit. And the Holy Spirit says, I go all. God wants all of you. He wants every part of you. And so when he goes into your life, if you were willing to be a new skin, to have taken off the old, to put on the new, and, you know, they teach us in homiletics and hermeneutics not to mix metaphors. But if you read uh, Jesus's, he constantly mixed metaphors. He loves to mix metaphors. He'll jump from this one to this one to this one and put them all together and be like that. Because he just because it's not about the metaphor. Don't get lost on the metaphor. Don't get mauled. Said wine. He's talking about wine. I like that. <laughs> okay, if you like it too much, we, there's another sermon. But the point is, the, the point is that we need to be open to what God wants to do in our life. So we have to take off the old and put on something better. How do I do that? Let's look at what this church of Thessalonica did. Let's look at it and say, what did they do? How, how did they become a church of steel and precious stones? How did they become a church, a God's supermodel church? <laughs> you know, it's not like everyone looked like a supermodel. No, 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 no. Everyone was exemplifying everything about Christ in the most powerful way. I have several thoughts. So I'm going to go through them pretty quick, but I think God will apply it to each one of your hearts. Here's the first one. As God's supermodel, okay, we need to put on and to wear selection. You say, Greg, what is that about? The first thing, one of the first things in the, uh, that Paul does in talking to the church is he says, do you need to understand something? Through God's love, you are chosen. God chose you. It's one of the very first things you see in chapter 1. And I encourage you to go back and read chapter 1 over and over this week. <laughs> Just let God marinate all that in your, in your life of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and he said, you were chosen. And you think, well, that's not a very exciting point. It's the beginning. You cannot live as God's supermodel in printing and touching and changing the world around you, your family, your own life, everything. You can't, you can't do that if you miss this point. You can't. That God selected you. God chose you. God picked me. I want everyone to say, God picked me. You can say it in your heart if you're uncomfortable doing that. But if you say it long enough, if you say that one point, if you don't get anything else, if you just fall asleep, don't. But if you fall asleep for the rest of the message, hang on to that. God picked me. Wait a minute. God picked me. Now, it's been distorted about being, uh, you know, better than everyone else. Not, it doesn't matter. God picked me. God forgave me. God loved me. Colossians 3, 12. I love this. As God's chosen people. You are chosen. God picked you. And you know, we say, ah, I found God. No, you didn't. 
He was pulling you along until you stumbled into his grace because he was searching for you the whole time. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, there it is again. It's always through love. Anytime you find chosen, that we're chosen, not far off is going to be this understanding because he loves us, because he died for us, because he forgave us, because he loves you. And we feel so insecure sometimes about that. But love Clothe yourself. Okay. Now, you see how that works? You can't put on anything of godly character in your life, which is what we're talking about, if you miss this. If you're, if you're like, ah, you know, I can't do it. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm, I can't do that. I can't, act, I can't act this way. If you miss that, then it's really hard to be God's supermodel and change the world, be a model, be an example, make an imprint. And, you, and we say, we say I, I can't do that. What, what if I mess up? How did he choose me? How did he choose me? How, how, did, how is it that I'm the one that he chose? How is it that I'm the one he, he put in there? I, I can't do it right. I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine, and uh, he, he had a great illustration. I just loved it. It's been, been thinking about it all, all week. And he, and he said, he said you, know, you know, and the players especially the Super Bowl coming up, a good, 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 good team, and they're all good, good, good players. Most of them, you know, Kansas City, they're not. The Eagles, they are. But they're all real, real good. That was your one time to say amen. Come on, Eagle fans. <laughs> Got to help you through this. Kansas City, I'll, I'll get back around to you. Don't, don't worry. Go yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> the... the when a bad call happens, I mean a wrong call, you can either deal with it or cry like an NBA player. I'm whining, go on TV, that's a bad call, I can't do that bad call. <laughs> they didn't call the call, whether it was called against you. Like, and if it gets in your head, if it gets in your head, even a good player will start going, maybe I can't throw that pass. Maybe... Maybe I, I can't run that fast. Maybe, maybe I can't catch that ball. And then linemen, when they jump all sides, they've done studies. The, the next play, they're just like there. You know, everyone's running and they're just sitting there. You know, they're like a second delayed. If they can get you to jump all sides, they know the next time you'll be, you will be delayed. So what happens is it gets in our mind like that. And that's the same thing. If you don't understand that you're chosen, you miss it. You miss what God's doing. Here's the second thought. God's supermodel, as God's supermodel, we need to put on and wear conviction. In other words, we got to believe this stuff. Because he said that the Holy Spirit came in power, and then he said, and deep conviction, in your deep conviction. In other words, you have to believe this. You can't, you can't waver. You can't be like a, a ship on the water, <laughs> being tossed around. You got to say, God, I love you. God, I trust you. God, I believe you're guiding me. I believe this is you, this, you're in the middle of all of this. No matter what you're suffering, which we'll talk about in a minute, no matter, no matter how it's hurting, I trust in you. Hebrews 10, says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Do you live with the full assurance if you're going to say, God, I'm going to be a model. I'm, I'm going to make an imprint on my family. I'm going to change my neighborhood. I'm going to change my work or my employees or my employer. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Uh, 
then you better believe by faith that no matter what happens. And be that example. Make that imprint. For too long, we've heard people say, oh, no, 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 don't look at me. Just follow Christ. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. Because we have to wear Christ. How do they see Christ? Through you. Through us. We're it. We're it. <laughs> There's not a bunch of angels running around. I mean, there might be. I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> running around doing, doing good deeds so people could see Christ. That's what God has us for. We are the body of Christ. That's what we do. You see how these metaphors all of a sudden start to make sense, start to, start to fit together, start to all come there. Because, you see, we also need to understand that as God's supermodel, we need to put on and wear imi- imitation. Not like imitation like fake. Imitation like, are we willing to follow? Are we willing to follow? Because Paul taught them, you were following, you, were, you became imita- imitators. And Paul actually taught, he says, look, follow me as I follow Christ. You want to know how to live? Follow me. You, you want to know how to, have, how to have a good marriage? Watch mine. <laughs> you, want to, you want to know how to live right? I'll do it. Watch me. That's what Paul is saying. Paul was not perfect. He's not saying that Christians have to be perfect. He's just saying, you want to know how you get up after you fall and after you sin? Watch me. You, you, you want to know what you do when there's guilt because of all the past things that you dealt with, watch me how I deal with it. Watch me. That's what he's doing. And we have to do that. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 is what it says. It says, you became imitators of us, of us, and of the Lord. Follow me as I follow Christ. I might stumble, but I'll show you how to get up. I'll show you how to repent. I might not get it right. I might not be perfect. But I'll show you how to say I'm sorry. I'll show you how to say, come on. I want to follow God. And then, then because here it is. You got to get this. They're already following you. Somebody is already following you. Somebody is looking up at you. They don't say it, you know, but they're watching. They're watching. You think, oh, no, you know, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't go into your shell. Just say, okay, then God help me to understand this. I, re- I remember my dad when I was, I was just a little boy, just, just really young. My dad would mow, and I would love to walk behind him when he mowed. And I would pretend that I was mowing. I love the fact that it was a nice little path. You know, that, okay, that's probably my OCD, but that's beside the point. So I love that. I loved about it. And I, I'm thinking, I know how to, and to this day, mowing is, it's hard to push that thing. And I'm thinking, why do I don't want to pay people to do this like that? But there's just something about it. I just like it. And it's maybe because I learned how to do it following my dad. And maybe you had a terrible dad and you think that's a terrible illustration and I can't follow anything he ever did. I understand. But you got to follow somebody. And I think so often in the church today, the reason we're not imprinting and changing the world around us is we're not willing to follow anybody. Because everybody gets it wrong. So no one's good enough. Unfortunately, that's our case as well. We have to be willing to follow. Find, find, Find someone that you get fed that you can follow. It's so important. As God's supermodel, we need to put on 
and to wear celebration. <laughs> because he goes on to say that you were suffering. You had such severe suffering, but you did it with the joy from the Holy Spirit. Oh, you see, we get this wrong. We think joy comes from winning the lottery. <laughs> okay, that would be a happy moment. But we think joy is when they, everyone likes us, when everyone says good things about us. We think joy is the circumstances going right. We, we think joy is all of those things. And you know what? Those are joyful moments, but that's not where joy comes from. The Bible clearly teaches joy is from the Holy Spirit. And there is such peace in that. There is such hope in that. There is such excitement in that. Because you know what that means? That means no matter what I'm going through, I can have joy. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit's going, oh, that's really tough. Oh, man, you're sort of messed up. I'm going to wait over here. You get your life right, and then I want to come. No, no, God doesn't do that. God comes on us in the midst of everything, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggling. And, and, and you see, we wear in the midst of the severe sufferings, we wear all of that. And as we, as we wear his joy, all of a sudden people are going, man, you've had it tough. But you're not walking around sad-faced and hurting and whining and complaining like an NBA player. I'm sorry, I'm on a tangent there. <laughs> you saw that, right? Some article, some big star making millions and millions and all upset. But anyway, the point is, but aren't we as Christians, don't we do the same thing? Love NBA players. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we, don't we get lost like that and we focus on the moment? The circumstances will be good. You will have great circumstances this week, I promise you. There'll be something, you go, yes, followed by something that you go, oh, that's horrible. You know what that's called? Life. But in the midst of all of that, you know what's always there? It's the joy of the Holy Spirit. And if we can learn how to wear that, come on, put on that. Put on some joy. Put that out. And wear that. It changes everything. I love uh, the story. My, I, I didn't go, but Lisa went with, uh, I think, Jared and, and Justin to the movies. I think they were watching, like, Get Smart or something. I can't remember. And Lisa loves Get Smart. The, the, the old one and the new one. And she, something happened, and she started to laugh. And there was nobody laughing, you know, because you've got to be cool going to the movies. You know what I mean? got to be cool. But she started laughing out loud and laugh and then got tickled. You know how it is, you know. A lot of, a lot of times with my sermons, you know, you just can't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah, like that. And then you laugh and then someone else is around. And then it was an amazing thing because I think it was Jared that said, Dad, you would have been, been shaking your head. But he said, within moments, the whole theater was laughing. Everybody was laughing. Everyone said, oh, it's okay to laugh out loud. You can either let someone know around you in the midst of pain and suffering, it's okay to laugh out loud. It's okay to have a joy of the Holy Spirit that changes everything. Here's my last thought. There's so much in this chapter to really understand how they impacted the world. But as God's supermodel, you need to put on, come on, put it on, and to wear it, restoration. It's easy to miss, but if you read through chapter 1, it's, it, it says that they were, they, that the church's message, the message rang out. Literally, you know what that means? It means they were a trumpet. They were a trumpet. 
They, they sounded, and I just, I just love that thought. What were they sounding? What were they saying? What were they proclaiming? Many, many years ago, and I'm seriously dating myself on that, on this, seriously, but there was a song we used to sing in church, Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. It comes from Joel 2. Joel 2, verse 1. It says, sound the alarm on God's holy mountain. We used to sing that and dance. It was just, oh, it's so exciting, you know. Blowing the trumpet, blowing the trumpet. And of course, in Joel 2, verse 1, that meant <laughs> because God's locusts is going to come or these locusts are going to come and destroy the whole world. It's like, ah, I can't believe we sang that. But if you look close, you'll find the deeper meaning that actually gives legitimacy to that song. Because it... It's a picture not only of end times, I think, and not only of what Israel was going to experience, but it's an experience of our life. Because in the middle of that first part of Joel chapter 2, it says how before it was like a Garden of Eden. Usually uses, uses the word Garden of Eden. And afterwards, it became a wasteland. And if that's not a picture of sin in this world, I don't know what is. That sin comes like these great locusts and just destroys everything. Destroys the way we think. It destroys our marriage. It destroys our homes. It destroys our children. It destroys everything. It just comes. Our very heart, our very soul destroys everything. But the beauty of Joel chapter 2 is that it doesn't end that way. Because in the middle of it, it says, hey... But God sees us, and God can restore us. And so even Ezekiel talks about how that God takes a wasteland and turns it into the Garden of Eden. In other words, God redeems us. Our salvation, our restoration is there. And that's what we have to wear. It's the restoration of what everything that God wants to do. Because later on in Joel chapter 2, toward the end, in two different verses, one that you probably know very well, but one that you may not be aware of, it says, I will repay for you, for the years, the locusts had eaten. Oh, I love that one. That's God saying, hey, I know sin has ravaged your home, ravaged your marriage, and ravaged your life. I know it's ravaged your past, but I will restore. And we got to have that message. We have to wear that as a church. We have to wear that in a world that is torn. I mean, don't beat up the world because they act like the world. They're the world. They're supposed to act like that. We don't condemn the world because they act like the world. We show them that God loves them and can forgive them, and they don't have to act like that. The judgment will come in the end. <laughs> Let God do that. But for us, for now, we got to shout out, there's a restoration. There's something that God can change your life, your marriage, your home. God can turn everything around if you're willing to trust him. Because not only does it say, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten, it also goes on in the last part of Joel. It says, and I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and your daughters that have been destroyed will prophesy. And the spirit of God will move on everyone, man, woman, child. God is there. God's spirit in us, not just on us. It ends so great. That's what we have to wear. And I think you need to wear that. If there's, an, if there's nothing else, grab a hold of that. God, I, I give you my life. I give you my heart. And God, I know you're going to restore. I know you're going to, I can trust you. I can believe in you. I don't even have time to go on to some of the other parts of the end of the chapter that talks about how God can bring our repentance, how they rejected the idols, and how they were waiting patiently for everything that God was trying to do in their life. To have faith. Come on, are we wearing restoration? Let's start with chosen.
Do you know you're chosen? You know God picked you. God picked you. God picked you. You. Among everyone else, he picked you and said, I'm, you're my child. I will use you. I will redeem you. I will forgive you. I will restore you. I will pay back everything the enemy has stolen. We have to wear restoration. We can't be wearing around and say, okay, well, we're just going to hang on, you know, because, you know, everything's just terrible in the world and maybe God will come and get us out of here. No, no, no. God will come and get us out of here. <laughs> that is true. Again, another sermon. But the point, the point now is that, come on, let's wear the restoration. Let's wear the conviction. Let's wear what, the, what God is doing in our lives and we'll change the world around us. Do you receive God's word? Come on, give God thanks. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that that restoration starts right now. God, if there's anyone in this room, if, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice, if there's anyone watching this video next week, tonight, next year, that God, your precious Holy Spirit would move in their lives. That you would let them know that you have chosen them and you can restore everything. Nothing, nothing is lost when we put it in your hands, God. So God, we put our hearts, we put our souls, we put everything that we are in you. We ask you to come to forgive us, to renew us, to strengthen us with your grace, with your mercy, with the precious salvation that, God, we would build with precious stones. We would build with things that last, the change that lasts in our families, that we would create a language in people, God, of serving and loving you that will last long after we're gone. God, that is our prayer. God, I pray for every single person. Not one is missed. Not one need, God, right here, right now. They feel like I'm hurting here. I'm not right here. God, touch that right now. Let them know that you have forgiven them, that you are restoring them, that you are strengthening them. And God, we will stand in faith with the deep conviction that you are our God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Man, isn't God good? God is so, so, so good.